All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow 777 Radio, episode 142. We just got done with Sean Malo and Jason Lindgren. Uh, we're talking cannabis for the majority of the episode today. We had to push some things into hour two, of course, because of censorship. But as we were going off the air and we had quit recording, Sean brings up that cannabis shows up in the Bible. I said, come on. He says, I'm not kidding. So he gives me this word and I look it up and find research on it. The word is Kenna Bosom. It's spelled K-A-N-E-H. There's a hyphen, then B-O-S-M. And the claim here is that the first solid evidence of Hebrew use of cannabis was established in 1936 by Sula Bennett, a little-known Polish etymologist. It goes on to say that cannabis was a word generally thought to be Scythian in origin, but Bennett showed that it had a much earlier Semitic origin. There's books of the Bible. Uh, I think it's one of the Exodus books, but Sean was telling us it was the oil that they anointed basically the third eye, the pineal gland with. Anyhow, it's food for thought. You can look it up. Let's jump in with Sean and Jason and talk medical cannabis. It's a heck of a thing, and it's a shame it's illegal. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 142, and I have Jason Lingram with me, and we have Sean Malo returning to update us on his status. Uh, for those of you that recall, uh, Sean was heavily involved in medical cannabis, and to refresh everyone's memory, we have now had three experts on this podcast that have made the statement that cannabis in and of itself is a complete pharmacopoeia and always has been. Uh, so many people waking up to the fact that there are real medicinal benefits to be had from medical cannabis. Um, anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning to you, it is. All right, let's do this real quick so we can maximize our time with Sean. Um, Jason has a GoFundMe uh, account put up. Uh, we have, I don't know, something like an hour and a half or an hour 45 of the film Shoot the Moon Timeline completed. Um, we're trying to offset all the costs that have taken us this far and help us get to the point where we can finish releasing it and hopefully get it out into places that a movie like this might not normally run. But anyhow, uh, Jason, where where will they be able to find the links for uh, the GoFundMe account, which incidentally is completely separate from Crow 777 Radio podcasting. This is wholly to do with the film and the production costs of the film. So, Jason, where, where can they get a link here? We will put the links below the episode on YouTube, and it is available even if you Google search it. Jason Lindgren, it will come up, and it should have my name on it and Louisiana and all that. You'll see that it's me. We're right now at 10% of the goal. Right. So Crow777 on Twitter, I have a link there, um, Secrets of Saturn. Do you have a, a link for Secrets of Saturn on YouTube, Jason? Yes, I do. All right. So those are the places you can find the link. Anyhow, let's let's move forward and max out with Sean what we can here. Uh, welcome back, Sean. Thank you, Crow. Appreciate it. So you've been having a rough go of it. Let's catch people up. You were rated twice and had a whole bunch of stuff confiscated. So can we jump in there? and catch us all up on where things have gone. Well, they really haven't gone anywhere. We've moved because we were evicted from the home we were in. We moved out to the west of Detroit a little bit. But yeah, things really haven't moved. We had a hearing that, uh, unfortunately, an, an evacuation order was called into, so it got postponed indefinitely, as, as far as I know at this point. So yeah, things just haven't moved. The industry here in Michigan has pretty much folded the company that I was running due to lack of sales. It's really hard to explain, but the Michigan bureaucracy in charge of cannabis, both recreational and uh, medical, have put up a, a arbitrary deadlines uh, in the nature that, you know, about every 90 days, there's another arbitrary deadline. And they're telling stores they would need to destroy product that hadn't been sold before the deadline. So stores just aren't making orders. So my business, my business is effectively dead at this point. So suffice it to say that if you want to grow cannabis in your home and smoke it and get high, you're okay. But anything to do with the medical aspect of this, it seems like they're locking it down. And not only that, to catch people up, what occurred was Sean was raided twice and they confiscated money, uh, medicine, vehicles, everything, no charges ever levied. 
And that's where he's sitting right now. Still no charges levied. I guess there will be some kind of a forfeiture hearing. But does it look like the 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 medical thing is going to be outlawed, taken over? What's it looking like if you had to try to read the tea leaves here? Well, it, from my perception, what it, what it appears is the Michigan legislature itself, uh, the Congress creatures, wanted recreational cannabis passed for several reasons. One of them being, if if you consider something recreational, it it depletes from the idea of it being medicinal, and also it creates a position where they can start to have their cronies get into the program and take it over. Quite frankly, reduce its efficacy through increasing production levels. You know, if if you if you're say you're able to grow seventy plants as they had it, you're able to grow some really powerful, very efficable cannabis. But if you're growing 1,500 plants, those plants aren't getting the attention required to produce that same level of medicine. So it's really uh, damage control, if you will, on the part of Big Pharma, who largely funds our Congress creatures, you know, ever since Citizens United anyway. So let's let's lay it on the table here. Um, we were talking earlier and you were pointing out that like a pizza, 100% is 100%. You can't add more than 100% to something that is whole. In that, the recreational idea of marijuana has produced people who are still growing it to up the THC or the psychoactive levels in cannabis. The effect of this has been to lower the CBD levels, which is the medicinal component, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe I should say one of the main medicinal components. Is that correct? Well, it's it's correct somewhat. Yes, Crow. Um, while I consider all of the cannabinoids to be medicinal, the CBD in particular is a non-psychoactive cannabinoid. And so it doesn't get you high, but it does treat many symptoms of different ailments. It doesn't seem to, to us to have a curative property, but it does have the ability to mitigate the effects that a patient will get from the THC component, meaning it mitigates the psychoactivity so that we can increase the dosage of THC without making them get more high, if you will. So I'll have to say on the record here um, that for years I was aware of medicinal cannabis. Um, there was a point when I had cysts and when I began taking CBD within 24 hours, they were on their way out the door. Um, and I was amazed at the time, uh, sitting there thinking, my God, this, this is really no joke. And the reason it's so surprising is because if I take my butt up to the VA, they'll tell me there's nothing that can be done for that unless you want them surgically removed. So to me, I'm, I have firsthand experience understanding that when we've had three experts on this show saying that cannabis as a lone species in this world is a complete pharmacopoeia, I buy it wholesale. Can you get in a little bit and just redefine why? It's, it's a full pharmacopoeia. Can you just explain THC, CBDs, and any other components you think are cogent to the conversation? Well, you know, we don't know, unfortunately, the efficacies of most of the cannabinoids. At this point, we don't even know all of the cannabinoids, but that's largely due to it being Schedule 1, Crow. Um, see, back in, in the late 60s, early 70s, the government uh, hired a few colleges to prove once and for all that cannabis caused cancer. Instead, they arrived at the opposite, that it cures cancer. And then they created the drug scheduling uh, so that universities and research groups would be disallowed from doing any research. So that's really part and parcel why we don't know all of the cannabinoids or their efficacies. It was literally kept illegal to do any research upon it for over 80 years. Jason, why don't you jump in uh, with our first bullet point, and we'll let Sean address them. Um, we're going to pull we're going to pull some information from basically mainstream sources here, Sean, and uh, see if you agree with what they're laying down online. Oh, absolutely. Tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC. And cannabidiol, CBD, are the two primary cannabinoids that occur naturally in the cannabis sativa plant, most commonly known as cannabis. 
both of these substances interact with the cannabinoid receptors found in the human body and brain, but they differ dramatically in their effects. CBD is non-psychoactive, which means that it will not get the user high. Because of this trait, CBD appears more frequently than THC in dietary and natural supplements. What do you think, Sean? That's pulled from the mainstream. Uh, do you take any issue with it? Would you make corrections? Yeah, I would make corrections. The reason that CBD is used more often as a ethical medicine, per se, is because it's uh, non-psychoactive. We've been able to experiment more with it. The curative property of CBD is minuscule compared to the curative property of THCA or THC. So I would, I would say that that's a, a largely true but somewhat false statement. So let me get this straight. There is a THCA and then a regular THC. Can you elaborate on that? Oh, of course. Yeah. THCA, it literally means that the component as it grows on the plant is not THC. It's, it won't be THC until it's heated up to 262 degrees Fahrenheit, at which time the carboxylic acid molecule drops from the THCA, creating THC9. Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol. So, Sean, quickly outline for people what were some of the common medicines that were being produced in your part of the country before this kind of crackdown that's been in effect has come come to pass? What, you know, people are familiar with CBDs, but specifically, what are some of the remedy or medicinal components that were actually created from cannabis? Oh, they, they really run the gambit, Crow, everything from Vaginal suppositories right on up to smoking cannabis. Um, it all has its own individual efficacies. You know, for people who have epilepsy, for instance, uh, having a smokable concentrate is uh, a rescue, like an inhaler for them. Okay. For an, as an asthmatic would use an inhaler, an epileptic might use a dab instead. Okay. But, I mean, we've been making lotions, tinctures, which, by the way, 90% of the medicine is taken orally rather than smoked. The whole smoking of cannabis was a fallout from the word marijuana, quite frankly. Uh, marijuana literally means the effect from smoking cannabis. So in their push to criminalize it, they convinced people that cannabis was only smoked. Uh, in order to reduce the incidence of people using it orally and, and, and finding relief from their ailments. Sean, do you feel like there's anywhere out there in the world right now that you're aware of where uh, medical establishments openly state uh, that cannabis uh, in any form uh, is, is a, uh, a treatment for cancers or other serious ailments? Oh, yeah. Israel. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've, been, they've been using it as medicine for quite some time. Do you know anything about it? What are they using? They're using FICO oil or what's been called RSO, uh, Rick Simpson oil. Uh, Rick Simpson himself asked that we stop calling it that, but the name seems to stick to it. It's actually full extract cannabis oil. But since Rick Simpson was the discoverer of this or rediscoverer, I should say, RSO kind of stuck to it. But yeah, they've got huge grows over in Israel and they're doing amazing research into it uh in secret as it seems you know it's just not in the public discourse yet well i'll tell you what uh with respect to rick simpson we're going to talk about his rediscovery but we're going to do it an hour or two um to hopefully not create any more waves than we need to but you know last time we were talking you were talking about drops oils suppositories waxes which i wanted to talk to you a bit about what is the cannabis wax well, it's, it's uh, basically RSO that is put through a different purging process than using heat. For fecal oil, we want to activate usually 100% of the cannabinoids so that the efficacy is, is full. The wax is a smokable concentrate that's purged in very low temperatures under vacuum in order to keep its terpene profile intact so that the user gets the full experience that the medicine offers. Where RSO or fecal oil is decarboxylated, meaning the carboxylic acid is removed, so that it's completely psychoactive and completely efficable. In order to 
reduce the uh, psychoactivity in many patients, we will add different amounts of CBD to the oil that's extracted from hemp uh, so that it reduces their psychoactive component and they're able to take more of the medicine sooner. The more medicine they have in their system, the more curative it seems to be. So what exactly are terpenes? Is this another compound within cannabis or what exactly is a terpene? They're the flavonoids. They're, they're what gives the cannabis its scent and taste. But it's also the modulator for the cannabinoids. Um, if you just take pure cannabinoids, you're, you're largely just going to get tired. You're not going to have an experience, if you will. The terpenes act as a modulator for the cannabinoids, kind of like a traffic cop inside your body. If you smoke or use an indica, for instance, so I'll just say a granddaddy purple, um, you're going to get a sedating feeling in your body. You're going to get a, you know sleepier than you would have without using it. Where if you use, say, a green crack, which is a sativa dominant strain, then it's going to make you a little more creative. It might even w- help wake you up a little bit if you had been drowsy. The cannabinoids are what modulates the medicine to give, its, give it its personality, if you will. I'm gathering that there are basically two main types. I guess they wouldn't be called strains or species of cannabis, one of them being indica and one of them being sativa. Is that correct? Yeah, there's another one that most people don't know about called ruderalis. It's where the autoflowering strains derive from, but it's a, it's a largely unpopular, very small growing plant uh, that's used mainly for breeding purposes. So what's the difference between sativas and indica? Do they get used in medicinal ways in, in the same ways, or is there a difference between them? Well, there's a difference between them, but it's largely their terpene content. We don't even know all of the terpenes that are present just like cannabinoids, we just haven't had the opportunity to do the research with the facilities necessary. But yeah, the sativas will will generally bring about a more creative feeling, um, euphoric feeling, where indicas will bring bring about a more sedated, relaxing sensations. The mainstream seems to want to produce an idea that CBD is medicine, and it's the only medicine in cannabis. Uh, and that the rest is just for fun. That is not the case at all, whatsoever. We don't know all of the efficacies of all of the different cannabinoids, but to say that CBD is is the medicine uh, is is fraudulent. Getting back to the next main point, THC is the main psychoactive component of the cannabis plant. THC is the primary agent responsible for creating the high associated with recreational cannabis use. This compound works in part by mimicking the effects of anadamide and 2-AG. These neurotransmitters are produced naturally by the human body and help to modulate sleeping and eating habits, the perception of pain, and countless other bodily functions. The effects of THC include relaxation, altered senses of sight, smell, and hearing, fatigue, hunger, and reduced aggression. What do you think, Sean? There's a mainstream definition of THC. I think it's a good definition. I guess I wouldn't change anything because you would just extend the length of it. So I've got to ask, and I'm trying to, since we're in hour one, I'm carefully trying to figure out how to ask you this, but have you witnessed people who have chosen to use the medical components of cannabis to treat cancer, uh, successfully treat cancer? And I'm not suggesting that we are telling anyone to do it. I'm asking you if you know of people who have, of their own volition, done this and succeeded. Yes. And what kinds of cancers have you seen people cure? Uh, Skin cancer is the easiest to to witness the cure of. Um, A lot of the patients that we have come to us don't, don't use the medical establishment at all. So a lot of times we don't even have diagnosis. Uh, because of people's fear of the medical establishment, uh, their healthy fear of it, by the way. I'm fully aware of several people curing their cancer outright using cannabis oil and switching their diet and getting their pH in their blood right. If you see someone go into a hospital to get treated for a serious cancer, sometimes you'll see them get chemotherapy, um, which is actually a form of poisoning. 
but it takes quite a while. It's quite an arduous thing that these people are put through. When someone chooses that you've seen has chosen cannabis to go after their cancers, um, is it a long period of time to see results or what typically do you see? Well, from what I've heard, they get results that show them healing very quickly. I'm not saying that it'll heal your cancer very quickly. You'll start seeing the, the positive ramifications of taking the medicine quickly. It took one patient off the top of my head, it took her 16 months of taking the oil before she was comfortable going to get biopsied to verify that the cancer was gone. So in the research, as I re-researched to get into this episode, um, I found plenty of accounts where people who have chosen cannabis to deal with things like tumors, cysts, which I have some personal experience with, um, the actual, they note very quickly that a change is occurring. But I mean, what about serious, really like hardcore cancers, like lung cancers? Have you ever been aware of anyone using cannabis to treat something like a serious lung cancer? You know, I... I don't think I do, unfortunately, uh, as far as a lung cancer. We've had uh, people report to us that they've had positive effects from cannabis with lung cancer, but it's largely from using it as a inhalable rather than smoking it, you know, using it as a, the wax as, as, that you asked about. It's very good for treating lung issues, but I haven't heard of anyone completely curing a lung cancer, no. Not to say that it hasn't happened, I, I just don't know of any personally. What about something like prostate cancer, which is normally incredibly deadly? Prostate cancer, I know of two different people that have treated successfully with it. And although n neither one went in for biopsy after, they haven't had the symptoms that went along with the cancer since. Of course, they're still using the medicine, so I can't go saying that it cured their cancer. But I can say that it's treating it effectively. Right, because prostate cancer will normally kill very, very quickly. Correct. Well, another one that I read, I was actually able to find more accounts was breast cancer for women. Um, and I read a lot of accounts where people had used cannabis to treat breast cancer. Have you ever seen anyone do this successfully, Sean? My wife. Your wife had breast cancer and used cannabis to, I don't know, do we say cure it? Yes, we say cure it because she doesn't have cancer anymore. She actually went and got biopsied to make sure it was gone. And so how far along was the cancer when you became aware that it was an issue? Um, was it far along? Stage three. And what period of time taking cannabis did it take to treat that? Just over 14 months. How did she feel during the course of that? Um, did she feel poorly or can you kind of describe the, the experience? Well, she was stoned the whole time. I mean, it caused arguments because I'd forget that she was on the oil. She'd neglect to do things and I'd get on her case and then have to be reminded that she was on the oil because she developed a tolerance. She was taking almost a gram of very powerful oil per day. But we also made sure that she wasn't acidic. Most people don't understand that cancers and most chronic diseases feed on acids in the body. If your pH is on the low side of the scale, your chances of, of incurring illness is elevated incredibly. pH balancing is, is something that you can do to mitigate your opportunity to get cancer. So that was one of the main components of it was starving out the cancer by making sure her blood was alkaline. And how do you go about dealing with the pH of the body? How did you do it? We had to get test strips. We ordered them from Amazon that she would urinate on and, and check her acid level. And we just made sure that she kept over eight on the pH scale. Seven is considered balance. That's a, a even keel between acidity and alkalinity. So you want to make sure you're on the plus side of that scale, seven or better. Most people, especially Americans, have very acidic blood because our diet is so poor. So what types of things do you do to try to bring the acidity level down in your body? Certain foods or what, what is the practice that will reduce the acidity? Yeah, the foods are the best way. And a lot of foods that will reduce your acidity seem to be something that would raise your acidity, like lemon juice, for instance. You know, you think lemon juice, that's full of citric acid. That's not going to reduce my acidity, but it actually does once it's metabolized. 
Another thing is sodium bicarbonate. If you do a pH test and, and find yourself below six, you definitely want to start doing a small sodium bicarbonate therapy, just a half teaspoon of sodium bicarbonate in an eight ounce glass of water daily. And within a month, your pH will be brought up to a much safer level. You know, a lot of people email me and they're concerned with heavy metal toxicity. Uh, many people have sent their hair in and other things to get tested and find out, in fact, they have a lot of metals in their body. Is there any property of cannabis that deals with heavy metal toxicity? You know, I, that's a question I don't have an answer for, Crow, but I will look into it for next time. You know, it's interesting. There are a couple products out there uh, that came up in a couple of the episodes we just did with a homeopath and a spagyrist. Uh, one is called zeolite. It's a clay, uh, which I guess helps remove heavy metal toxicity. And another one that came up after the episode, a lot of people posted in the comments, something called bentonite, I think is the name of it. Hope I have that right, which I guess is yeah. a, a less expensive version of the same thing. But Jason, let's give Sean another mainstream definition. And I don't know if I'm saying this right. Cannabidiol or cannabidiol, something like that. Cannabidiol. There you go. Research studies indicate that THC may be useful in helping with side effects of chemotherapy, multiple sclerosis, HIV AIDS, lessening tremors due to spinal injury, nausea and vomiting, many kinds of chronic pain, inflammation, and digestive health. Cannabidiol is one of the most critical cannabinoids contained in the cannabis plant. It exists both in agricultural hemp as well as medical cannabis. While cannabinoids are present within several plants in nature, cannabis is the only plant known to contain CBD. CBD has the same chemical formula as THC with the atoms in a different arrangement. What do you think, Sean? I think that would be molecules, not atoms. Correct. And the I would throw that definition away quite frankly. All right, correct it. Um, cannabidiol, what would you say about it that's correct? Well, cannabidiol can be found in several different plants, kratom being one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the others offhand, but there's several plants that have CBD within them. Uh, CBD is just a lot easier to say than cannabidiol. And as far as its list of treatments, we don't have a period of time long enough to list them. So as I began to look at CBDs personally, what I noticed was they would always list how many milligrams is in the liquid. And then I noticed that some were clear and some were cloudy, like a cloudy white. So I started reading the ingredients on them carefully, and I found that the clearer one here in the state that I'm in, it actually says on the label, created from industrial hemp. And then there was another one that I saw that was white and cloudy, which seemed to be more of a medical level. Can you talk about that distinction that I've noticed? Is there anything to it? Is there any difference there? You know, I, there's an argument taking place in, in the community about that question in particular. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, the molecule is the same regardless of the source. So if you looked at the ingredients and you saw it, you had like a clear CBD liquid and you noticed that it says this was created from industrial cannabis, or I think it actually says industrial hemp, now that I'm thinking about it, for your money, you're getting the same components. Correct. The reason that they're using the words industrial hemp is for legalities reasons, so that they can push that product into more corners of the industry. Because certain states will allow hemp-created CBD, but they still consider cannabis-derived CBD to be illegal. So it's really just a way of making an end run around the rules. And that's the reason for the verbiage difference. In my opinion, when you extract one particular cannabinoid from the medicine, you're not doing it any favors. Now, I understand that we don't want to be giving psychoactive components to children. So there is a place for CBD isolates, but the sum of the parts of cannabis are far lesser than the whole. So that's some of the research that I saw too. And when we get into hour two and we talk about what I guess I'll call the RSO oil to do the man a favor. That was time and again stated as the most powerful manufactured cannabis product. So many people saying this, but as we mentioned earlier, in your part of the country, uh, people are now growing recreational without being messed with. 
So the effect that people are fearing this is going to have is that all this cannabis is going to get grown where the THC content keeps going up so that basically a bud from a plant keeps getting you higher and higher and higher if you smoke it or eat it. But the effect of this is that the CBD content goes down. What do you think about all that? Well, I think that they've really reached that pinnacle. I don't think we're going to get much higher levels of THC into the plant. They're already achieving near 30%. So I just don't see them being able to breed uh, it any stronger, quite frankly. And I think that that's a propagandist uh, position, quite frankly, that they're making it all that so much more powerful psychoactively because it's not truly making it more psychoactive without a qualifying level of terpenes to modulate the cannabinoids it doesn't matter what percentile cannabinoids you have okay it, if you were to smoke something that was 90 percent cannabinoid not that it exists and it had a, a very small level of terpene you would get the same experience as if you smoked a plant product that had a abundant level of terpenes and a very low level of cannabinoids so it's really a propagandistic position to take that oh the the cannabis is being made so much more powerful now it's it's just not and the oil that rick simpson was using was oil that was made from outdoor product grown in nova scotia so you're talking maybe 10 percent cannabinoid level and he was still able to cure his cancer but wait a minute so you're saying only 10 percent cbd what's typical where you are what percentage would that be oh 0.4 percent cbd while it would be in the area of 20% THC. So are you suggesting that up in Nova Scotia, it would be considered a less potent strain they're growing or something like that? Well, I I couldn't go to strain, but I'm just going to environment. Uh, The temperatures and humidity levels and, uh, and altitude involved in Nova Scotia are not what you would consider ideal growing conditions for cannabis. Right. Short growing season, too. But, you know, I'll take this back to, to my childhood. Um, I grew up in Southern California and in the 70s, it was hard to meet anybody who wasn't smoking what was called grass at the time. Um, one of the main kinds of cannabis that was around in those days was called commercial. And it was so plentiful that for $10, you got basically a sandwich baggie with the lid folded over the top. There were four fingers and the potency from a THC standpoint was very, very low. Would that, what they used to call commercial back in the day, would that have more CBDs in it since the THC content was so low? Likely, yes. But the, what what you would call commercial or what they call regos today is grown in large fields. So it's it goes back to the the care per plant ratio. That's why your your baggie full of cannabis was full of seeds, because right. there there was the incidence of hermaphroditing all over the field, uh, and pollinating was taking place. So the level of cannabinoids is automatically going to deplete because of the creation of those seeds. See, the energy that would have gone into producing cannabinoids and terpenes rather went into creating seeds to produce longevity of the genome rather than create a a stronger product. For most of the 70s, seeding your weed was a very common thing. It's a good thing they had 12-inch album covers on record so people could do that at the time (laughs) to make a a pun. Um, But So so I'm going to ask here because I really don't know. Um, We've been studying a lot of spagyrics, which is remedies made from alchemy of the plant kingdom. Uh, Many of those remedies are made from the whole plant, sometimes even even the root system and everything. When, When people are making medicinal things out of cannabis are they going straight for that red-haired purple-haired bud are they using the sun leaves are they using the stems are they using the roots what part of the plant is being used to create these medicinal products largely the trim and by trim i mean the cuttings that are made to beautify the product for sale but wait a minute are we talking about trimming from the buds or the sun leaves what is the trim the trim would be considered any part of the plant that has a visual presence of trichomes, the shade leaves, you know, the broader leaves, they're thrown yeah. away wholesale. I mean, there's, while I'm not saying they don't have value, they haven't found a way to make them valuable enough to work with yet. 
I'm sure that there will be, but at this point, the larger leaves are thrown away as trash. The stems are thrown away as trash. Uh, the buds or flowers are trimmed to make them more presentable, you know, to increase bag appeal. And what's left is called trim, and they bring it to people like myself to process it and to extract the medicine from what would otherwise be considered refuse. That's largely where it comes from. But now, as the industry has progressed, back in 2015, I'd say 95% of your waxes and concentrates were made from trim, where now it's more like 75% is made from trim, and there's a small portion of the flower being used to create uh, much more uh, palatable, exclusive, connoisseur-grade waxes. So, you know, we have places in the world like Amsterdam, I'll ask you, I don't know if you know, but for a long time, people, when when pot was still illegal, um, cannabis was still illegal in the United States, a lot of people would take vacations so they could freely use cannabis in places like Amsterdam. Do you know if places like Amsterdam are involved in the medical benefits of cannabis? I'm not certain if they are or not, Crow. Um, I tend to keep my area of focus here in America, but I'm sure they are. I mean, it's the cat's out of the bag and it's not just out of the bag here. The, the whole world is be, is waking up to the fact that plants are medicine <laughs> and, uh, and chemicals are not. <laughs> to say the least, the reason I asked is because it's a bit astonishing to me that um, a byproduct is basically what is primarily being used to create the medicinal components, what you're calling trim, where, you know, I could imagine a place where there is no hassle. They're growing these plants that are very potent with buds and crystals all over the buds. What a world it would be if that whole entire plant was planned for medicine from the get-go. Well, that's what they're doing in Israel. And there's also a organization in Northern Europe uh, that's also doing uh, amazing things with a huge amount of uh, flour. So these experiments and studies are taking place. They're just not taking place here. You know, we were talking about seeds a minute ago. You know, back in the 70s, almost every bag of weed you ever saw had seeds in it, um, with very few exceptions. Eventually, the, the other types of cannabis like Columbia or Colombian gold would come around. There'd be fewer seeds. And of course, they got up into things they used to call tie sticks, where you'd rarely see any seeds. But uh, in the modern uh, scope of what you see out there, um, how much danger uh, is cannabis production going to run into um, because of seeds, if you understand where that question is intended to go? Oh, I understand entirely. And it's, it's perilous, quite frankly. Uh, we've already got Bayer Monsanto buying into the seed, and there's been a nefarious group that no one understands the ownership of that's been buying up the, the strains and patenting them. Nobody knows when, but eventually there's going to come a point in time where there's going to be uh, a seed shortage and uh, controversy around seeds. Already, we've had one genetic cultivator that came up with a strain Gorilla Glue that got sued in federal court and lost. Uh, had to give up the name Gorilla Glue, so now it's called Harambe. They had to give up the name Gorilla Glue because of the, the glue company sued them. And so these types of litigation are with legalization are going to explode onto the scene because of the nature of the industry. When I hear that, I, I'm just thinking to myself, if, if I was a cannabis cultivator and some big corporation wanted to sue me over a name, I would just say, fine, I'll name it something else. Um, doesn't it strike you as funny that someone was willing to go to court just to hold on to Gorilla Glue or try anyhow? Well, they were really defending their genetics more than they were defending the name Gorilla Glue. And it wasn't so much they could just change the name because once, once it go enters the lexicon, changing it is very difficult. Even now, we have stores in Michigan still labeling their Harambe as Gorilla Glue. Uh, so I don't know the parts of the case. I just know that they did lose. And this is going to be a, a source of litigation all over the place because so many things have been named after companies and companies have taken logos of other companies. And the opportunity for litigation is through the roof in the cannabis industry. 
A lot of this sounds like preparation for the full legalization and the corporations already having a plan in place on how they're going to deal with things and control it, regardless of it being legal. Of course, yeah. That's I think that that was part of the plan all along since prohibition. Quite frankly, just like alcohol prohibition, they knew that the truth would come out. You can't keep the truth buried; it comes up like broken glass. Okay. So they knew that the truth would come out eventually, and I'm sure they made plans for that eventuality. So, continuing on with the points, research studies indicate that CBD may be useful in helping with pain, neuropathic, chronic, cancer-related, etc., epilepsy, multiple sclerosis or MS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS, Parkinson's, inflammation, acne, dyskinesia. Psoriasis, broken bones, mad cow disease, depression, bacterial infections, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, nausea, anxiety, ADHD, schizophrenia, substance abuse and withdrawal symptoms, heart disease, and irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. What do you think about all that, Sean? I think their list needs to go on and on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, if you really look at that list, they covered pretty much every generality in our, <laughs> and that's what it is. It's a general medicine. I mean, it, this stuff helps with headaches. Do you know of anything else besides aspirin that helps with headaches? <laughs> I mean, the stuff instantly cures a headache. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, take it and wait 40 minutes. I'm talking about Put a little CBD on your nail and your rig and take a puff and your headache is gone when you exhale. <laughs> well, I noticed they, they had a mad cow disease, so I'm guessing if that was really a problem, uh, you could just put some hemp in the cow feed, right? Exactly. You know, and that's, you know, I'm glad you said that because that's, that's the real reason that this miracle cure is really here. See, up until prohibition what do you think the cows and the and the chickens were eating in the field the hemp farmer was growing well we we should cover that a little bit i mean early before let's say uh the early 1900s hemp production was was a going concern right can you kind of address that well it was it was the paper industry it, it covered the textile industry you know hemp was being used for everything literally so hemp production in America was on the level of wheat production that we have now, okay? It was literally every farm had a hemp field, okay? So the cows were eating hemp, the chickens were eating hemp, we were eating chickens, so we were eating hemp. Our endocannabinoid systems were fulfilled, and so we didn't have the incidence of disease that we do now simply because of that. And so... What we consider to be this amazing super cure is actually just food. <laughs> this is nature. <laughs> yes. Well, as we always are saying here, there is no lie in nature. And I'm just kind of picturing period films and things like that. You would probably never see this displayed in any sort of mainstream media showing the past before the whole prohibition thing. But from what you're saying, and I've heard this before too, this was just everyday common usage. This is what went on. Right. I mean, the Declaration of Independence is written on hemp paper. The Constitution is written on hemp paper, okay? That was the paper of the time. <laughs> there, there was no wood pulp paper at that time. It would have been so expensive to create it that it was cost prohibitive. Uh, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that paper could be generated from trees through the machinations thereof. So as soon as they were able to, they criminalized hemp. And then when World War I started, the farmers were all given directives by the government to grow more hemp. And then when World War I ended, stop growing hemp. Then when World War II started, oh, we need to grow more hemp. You know, when World War II ended, stop growing hemp. It's very obvious on its face that hemp is the most sustainable crop to produce these uh, different industries. Well, it makes you wonder, you know, back in the day, what was in grandpa's corn cob pipe, right? You're, you're told so much about tobacco being a big crop, but for all those private farms out there growing hemp, makes you wonder. But I'll, I'll also add, you know, it's claimed that almost all ropes at one point were made from hemp. So if that's correct, 
and you start to think about all the shipping back in the day, um, it's supplying all that as well. But from firsthand experience, uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a freelance stagehand for most of the 90s. Um, there was still a theater in San Diego, the Spreckles Theater, um, and they called it a hemp house. The reason it's called a hemp house is because the ropes in the rigging of that very old theater are still made from hemp or were. Uh, I'm not sure that it still is today, but it's still referred to as a hemp house for that reason. Well, yeah, that's where the whole story of you know Dow Chemical being behind the prohibition comes from. Uh, and yeah, nylon rope did replace hemp rope. But that's just a small element of it. Uh, <laughs> the the reason, if you really want to bear it down to its bare nuts and bolts, the reason for cannabis prohibition was simply to birth the allopathic model. There's no other industry that had anywhere near the uh, power of control and finance that Rockefeller and his cronies did. Well, it always comes back to the robber barons. Exactly. They are the scum of the earth. Right. And, and they're still looked at as heroes in America, you know, <laughs> because they own the media, which pushes that notion. These people are so wonderful. You bull. Right. That's that's why I don't own a television. You know, it's you know, uh, it's the one it's the one thing that makes me wonder sometimes about the idea of a thing called karma, um, because truly, truly, these people are the lowest of the low with concern to other living beings in this world. I don't even know what to say about it when you consider that we've just had a homeopath. We had a man on who's a master alchemist, spagyrist, who actually inherited the work of people before him. Each of them, including Sean, has said that cannabis in and of itself is a complete medicine chest, basically. Well, let's put it this way, Crow. Between the late 1800s and early 1900s, the robber barons of the world, the Western world anyway, put into place the capability for them to have complete control over everything in our lives, and people thank them for it every single day. When in reality, we could have a much, much different world that's way more natural-based, but no, 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 we can't have that. So many people argue this, Jason, but we've done shows. Who owns the blood supply, for crying out loud? I just had a comment three days ago. Uh, someone was listening to that old episode we did on blood where we showed, um, who was it? Was the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers? I think it was the Rothschilds that owned 50% of the blood here. They said they went to the hospital and they were charged $1,300 for a unit of blood. So for people listening, don't think there's a there there. You're sadly mistaken. The allopathic medicine system was put in intentionally. The blood in this country is owned by the same people who did the allopathic medicine and the, the same people who helped to illegalize true medicines like cannabis. Since we're at the top of the hour here, let's get the last point in for Sean. Research suggests CBD may be better for inflammation and neuropathic pain, while THC may excel with spasticity and cramp-related pain. It is worth noting that sometimes high doses of THC can exacerbate pain symptoms. This means that THC consumed in this capacity should be done in small amounts. Additionally, many individuals experience difficulty managing the side effects associated with THC, which renders useless any potential benefits. Some experts suggest that a combination of THC and CBD is the ideal way to approach pain, giving validity to something known as the entourage effect. <laughs> well, I'm glad they went to the entourage effect at the end. because Yeah, really. That's really the only portion of value that that statement had. Yeah, I agree that some patients exhibit difficulty experiencing THC alone, and adding CBD definitely helps them to mitigate those effects. Um, and the entourage effect should include terpenes and all of the other cannabinoids that are present as well. As far as uh, the THC's psychoactive effects rendering it useless, uh, bull. <laughs> Well, there's there's one portion of this mainstream thing where they're claiming that high doses can make pain worse. Um, I I didn't read anything like that from actual real people in the world. I read the opposite of that. I haven't heard of it ever making pain worse. I have heard of it making people more anxious, which can add to, to the trauma that comes with pain. Uh, so that could make it worse uh, because it can make inexperienced users anxious. 
even my wife, when she was on her therapy, she was taking five capsules of 130 milligrams a day. And she decided to get brave and try to kick it up to six. Well, three days into that, she had a, a very frightening and I don't know what other word to use, a frightening experience where she felt she couldn't breathe. Uh, so I can definitely see where it could it could exacerbate the pain uh, by making the patient anxious about it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we're coming up on top of the hour. So what we're going to do here is wrap up. When we come back, we're going to get into the Rick Simpson oil and cover that for people. Uh, so much online positive has been said about that. It's a big deal. Uh, not only that, we're probably going to address over once again, uh, the legal aspects of what's happened to Sean, where basically he was raided twice, no charges ever levied, these types of things. In an hour or two, we can talk more freely. Uh, once again, I would like to remind you all, Jason has a GoFundMe campaign going for the final completion of the movie Go Shoot the Moon, and we hope to see you all over at our uh, live show, Crow 777 Live, Sunday nights on Truth Frequency Radio at 6 p.m. EST. There it is, man. Cheers.